0: Hello everyone, this is Trevor with Tea time Reports, and tonight, or today, whenever you're listening to this, um, I'm going to be doing the USFL and Chill episode. Uh, We're doing this little mini-series alongside our USFL Power Rankings and Recap, just to kind of talk about roster changes and, I don't know, players that deserve a little spotlight or so, Um, but I also do talk about, um, I said roster changes, but updates, if you will. In this episode um but we kind of have not only just a bunch of new signings that just got dropped on Twitter that I can kind of read off and go over um, but there was also someone I wanted to shout out a defensive back who played for the stallions in season one Tay Hayes. He uh, was an integral part of the Birmingham Stallions team that won the inaugural championship game of the modern USFL. And it seems he found a home with the Patriots. Uh, he, he appeared in five games for the Panthers um, and two with the Patriots last year. So he got re-signed uh, to the Patriots. So that that was pretty awesome to see Tay Hayes out there doing his thing. Um, and then I also do want to briefly go over the stat leaders through week four here. Um, passing leaders through week four, we have number one, Mcloyd or McLeod Bethel-Thompson with 1116 passing yards. He's the quarterback for the New Orleans Breakers. He has been tearing it up. Um, Logan talked about it briefly a little bit on our recap and power rankings episode. He doesn't take the risk. He takes what the defense gives him and, pardon me, and he does it well. Doesn't make mistakes, doesn't have error throws often. I mean, he had a bad pick this last weekend, kind of led a guy and got baited into a pick, which, you know, it happens. But for him, it doesn't happen a lot. So that's kind of key to his game. So he's not leading with uh, 1,116 passing yards. And number two is Case Cookus, the most sacked quarterback in the USFL. He has good weapons on the outside. He's uh, in second place with 922 passing yards. Um, number three is Kenji Bahar, 835 passing yards, quarterback for the Houston Gamblers. And Case Cookis at number two was quarterback for the Philadelphia Stars. Sorry not to mention that. But Kenji Bahar, he rolled his ankle. Uh, so he probably could have gotten more than this. Um after week four, but he came out, I think it was in the third quarter, and he was having a great game, but it's interesting to see him at three, and then Alex Magoo is at number four, quarterback for the Birmingham Stallions, Um, 764 passing yards, you guys may know him from the uh, preseason um, in in the Seattle Seahawks, Um, I think he also had some time with the Broncos, if I'm not mistaken, Um, really interesting and fun player to watch, especially this past weekend, battled through adversity led his team to the win. At number 5, uh Josh Love quarterback for the Michigan Panthers with 548 passing yards. There's a big difference between 4 and 5. Um nearly two a little over 200 yards actually. So just something to think about Josh Love does get pulled often uh for Carson Strong to come in, you know, four or five drives a game for the past couple of weeks. So that's why his numbers are slightly down, but he's kind of a mid-quarterback, and I hate to say it because I like the guy, um, but just being honest. Um, and then moving on to our rushing leaders here through week four in the second USFL season, we have at the number one spot, we have Wes Hills running back for the New Orleans Breakers uh, with 389 rushing yards. He's been tearing it up. He's been a, a player to watch. Um, I think he has eight touchdowns in three weeks. I mean, he's going insane right now. So shout out to Wes Hills. And then, and then number two, respectably, Darius Victor, running back for the New Jersey Generals, with 290 rushing yards. And I, I love to watch this guy play. He plays like he's eight feet tall, and it's so fun to watch him bulldoze respectable linebackers. <laughs> he's a he's a bowling ball, and he said it on Twitter himself. He's like, you didn't think a bowling ball a bowling ball could move like that, could you? Apparently, again, with Darius Victor, he's a premier running back in this league, and I love watching him play. So shout-out to Darius Victor. Thick thighs save lives. At the number three spot, Reggie Corbin, running back for the Michigan Panthers, 251 rushing yards. He is completely underused, in my opinion. He, should, uh, he could have 400 rushing yards right now. They just simply try and force arrogant throws and turn over a lot of, you know, time of possession as well as the football a lot on their offense. And I just wish Reggie Corbin would be more of a focal point. Um, I mean, not stats prove otherwise, but I don't know. I think he could be doing even better, you know. But at the number four spot, we have Mark Thompson running back for the Houston Gamblers who's been going off 214 rushing yards. Granted, he didn't play in the first two weeks of the season, was banged up a little bit, but he was a great running back for them last year, and he's just showing why he's an explosive weapon on their offense. I mean, he when he touches the ball, not only is there going to be a lot of contact, but there's a high chance he's going to break one out down the sideline or just make a, a hell of a run. And I, I enjoy watching him play. He's been one of my favorite players since I started watching the USFL last year. I mean, through the first four games last season, he averaged 100 yards a game. He's insane. He's a beast. That's just Mark Thompson, though. He's just a top G. So shout out to Mark Thompson. And if that number five spot was not expecting this, but I should have. Stevie Scott the third, running back for the Michigan Panthers with two hundred and five rushing yards. Keep this in mind. Him and Reggie Corbin, they share time. So the fact that both of their running backs are in the top five shows that they're good. But I just i I've watched every game. I haven't missed a game. They don't use them enough in my opinion. I know people will agree with me and they're gonna be like, Oh, you know, the generals are the only reason they lost to the generals is because they used Reggie Corbin too much. I completely disagree with that statement. When you have one of the best running backs in the league, you're going to use him. Like, they don't use him in, in proper tempo. Start out the game, get your rush attack, like, ready and, and in rhythm. Use Stevie Scott on third downs and out of the backfield and stuff. Like, that's where he's good out of. But they're both really good running backs, and you got to split time accordingly. You need to have a rush heavy offense, and they just don't. They try and predicate it and give it to the hands of Josh Love and we saw what he can do and what he can't do, you know, and he's a very limited quarterback and you shouldn't be doing that with that offense. Run the play-action pass, set up inside zone runs, get your offensive line hot and ready and in rhythm and like you should be 4-0. I mean, they've lost both of their home games. They still have not won a home game since 1985. Remember, they didn't play in Michigan in season one. This is their first season back since then. So I they need to prove something here to not just the league, but to their fans. They need to get a rush-heavy attack going just so they can maintain a presence of time of possession. They're giving the other team way too much time with the ball and giving their defense no rest. You can't win like that. Just something for the Michigan Panthers fan base to hear. Now moving on to the receiving leaders through week four of the USFL second season. At the number one slot... We have a surprising position at the number one slot here, but not a surprising player. This man has been beasting it out since season one, with when he was with the Birmingham Stallions. He wound up signing or going with the Breakers this season. His name is Sage Surratt, New Orleans Breakers tight end, with 351 receiving yards through four weeks of football. This guy's going off. Granted, he does have the leading passer. But if you watch their games, this guy always has separation, even though he doesn't have that burst, but he has the body type to where guys just bounce off of him. Like, when he gets the ball, he's getting 10 yards of yak every time. Like, there's a very limited... I mean, he did get get whammed this past weekend, but there's a very limited amount of time that you ever see him put on the floor, decked out by one guy. He's a very large tight end that can maneuver and use his body and make really good catches. But he's a sure-handed tight end, really fun to watch. Keep your eye out for Sage Surratt, tight end for the New Orleans Breakers in that number one spot. Number two, Davion Davis, wide receiver for the Birmingham Stallions, an exciting player to watch. Him and Alex Magoo have a little bit of a chemistry, and it works. There was a great play against the Maulers this past weekend that kind of showed that um, Alex Magoo genuinely was pulling some Russell Wilson shit, extending the play, finds Davion Davis to take the lead. In the end zone. I mean, that was great. That was great. And Davion's sure-handed, makes acrobatic catches. He's quick. Great route runner, in my personal opinion. He's cooking guys and creating separation. Um, But he's another great player to watch. And at, at that number three spot, we have Justin Hall, wide receiver for the Houston Gamblers with 250 receiving yards. This guy's one hell of a player. He plays, again, I said the same thing about Darius Victor, but he plays like he's eight feet tall. He makes great catches, gets the yak, and he's a like he knows how to run a route. The mistakes rarely come upon the receivers on the Houston Gamblers because they have great ones, in my opinion, for this league. Anthony Ratliff, Williams, um, Kiki Chisholm, and then Justin Hall are are good above average receivers. The quarterback will make the mistake if there is one. These guys run their routes properly; they contest for catches. They rarely make mistakes unless it's like a self inflicting mistake like a fumble or something. Like they get, you know, the ball knocked out of their hand, which, you know, not everyone can control that. But that number four spot is Corey Coleman, former first-round NFL draft pick, Philadelphia Stars wide receiver, with 238 uh, receiving yards through four weeks. You may be shocked that he's only at that number four spot, but it's genuinely this Philadelphia Stars offensive line that holds this team back more than anything. He would be insane. He's he cooks people. He plays. He keeps his body safe. Keeps the ball safe. He's a very smart football player, and I love watching Corey Coleman play. And I wish the best for the Philadelphia Stars. They are one and three. You know they they're gonna need to you know see a shooting star. If you know what I mean. At the number five spot, we have wide receiver for the Philadelphia Stars, Devin Gray, 227 yards receiving through four weeks is pretty pretty good. Um, obviously a lot of these guys may not. I've heard of it before, but Devin Gray is a very sure-handed wide receiver who can genuinely orchestrate and commit to little crossers and drag routes, and he does them very well. He's shifty, can take a hit. Again, I I don't think I've seen him drop it like more than twice in a game. I think I've seen him have one drop in a game, and then he's sure-handed. Like there was some games, I think he has over uh, twenty catches already. I will have to double check that but he's been very well for the very good for the Philadelphia Stars and he played for them last year. So those were the stat leaders in um offense through uh, the first four weeks of our second USFL season. Um and then I guess we can kind of let me try and get the defensive stat leaders. Absolutely. Okay, so linebacker Chris Orr for the New Jersey Generals. Total tackles 41 through 4 weeks. That is fucking impressive. I remember watching him play for them last year, and he he was a dog then, and he's refined his craft, and it's really good to see him on top. Um, And then the sack leader, there's actually a tie between Breland Speaks and Olive Sagapolu with four. They each have four. Breland Speaks is a defensive end for the Michigan Panthers, and Olive Sagapolu is a D-lineman for the Pittsburgh Maulers. They each have four sacks individually. That's fairly impressive. Pressuring the quarterback, good technique on their forms, they're beating a lineman, they know what they're doing. You know, four sacks, that's one sack a week, that's what you want. Interception leaders, Amani Dennis and DJ Daniel. Amani Dennis is a cornerback for the Philadelphia Stars, and DJ Daniel is a cornerback for the New Jersey Generals, uh, with two interceptions individually. It's pretty awesome to see the fact that the New Jersey Generals have two defensive stat leaders. That shows that there's good coaching going on with that club. And I would also like to shout out, I feel like it's good to say this publicly, um, to Matt Ariza. Prosecutors say former Bills punter Matt Ariza was not present during an alleged gang rape of a 17-year-old girl in 2021. This guy wasn't even there, got his name destroyed, career-ruined. I think if you said anything wrong about Matt Ariza on a public or social platform, you should apologize. Um, it's just the right thing to do. Moving on to some recent signings. Um, they include, for the Memphis Showboats, running back Ezra Gray out of Alabama State and offensive tackle Darda Lee out of UTEP, Transferred player to in- inactive roster both of them are on the inactive roster. They probably won't play this weekend, probably the following. But the showboats also released cornerback Josh Nurse and offensive guard Malik Clark. Ezra Gray actually played for the um, New Orleans Breakers. He was with them originally, but he was cut five days ago from the squad, so they picked up him. He, he showed promise, and then um Darda Lee did not play in the league prior, so... Moving forward to the New Jersey Generals' um, recent activity with their roster, they have a new free agent signing, uh, defensive tackle Kalani Vacamilio, I apologize if I butchered your last name, Um, out of Oregon State, and then they transferred him to the inactive roster, but they also transferred someone to the injured reserve list, and his name is Robert Myers, offensive lineman. So. It's going to be interesting to see if their offensive line is going to take an effect, take a hit this week. I guess we'll have to see, because their rush attack predicates on that offensive line being in rhythm and on the same page. Moving forward here to the Philadelphia Stars, uh, free agency uh, signing here. Uh, linebacker B.J. Bello out of Illinois State, and then they released linebacker Gaddafi Wright. Huh. So... Clearly, Mr. Wright wasn't doing something right. Moving forward to the Michigan Panthers, they just recently signed free safety Kai Nakua out of BYU and wide receiver Kaden Davis out of Northwest Missouri State. And then they re- uh, actually transferred a player to the injury reserve list, and it is a defensive end, Rondell Carter. So maybe their defense might take a little hit in production this this upcoming week as well. Something to look at, but they also did bring in a guy, so... You know, maybe that production can be replicated. Um, One last kind of thing I did want to talk about was these numbers coming out about the USFL and their Week 4 TV ratings. Because I talked about the TV ratings last week on the USFL chill episode. Um, And I think it's kind of a big deal to talk about this because they did really good in Week 4. Not just really good, but honestly great in In my opinion, from what I can tell as kind of you know an amateur um i guess reporter or you know just passion filled football guy but the Philadelphia versus Houston game on Fox, which was the first game of the weekend um got five hundred twenty one thousand viewers, and then the Michigan panthers versus the Memphis showboats game, the second game of the weekend on n b c got 2.063 million viewers. And then the New Jersey Generals versus the New Orleans Breakers game on NBC got 828,000 viewers, which is still fairly impressive. That was an early slot game on Sunday morning. And then the Pittsburgh Maulers versus the Birmingham Stallions on FS1 got 545,000 viewers. That may sound a little eh, FS1 is uh, really—it's a very small channel. It's a very small network, and that's shocking that they got that much on there. Like honestly, so I'm—I'm just interested to see if the USFL is going to keep that in mind. um, That you know they need to probably start pushing more of their stuff on NBC because that's clearly where they're succeeding and thriving more than anything. And whenever they have a USA um, time slot or you know. game on USA it's reaching less than 250,000 viewers so they need to keep away from USA stay on NBC mainly if they can get 2-3 games on NBC every weekend i know they think i think they get two NBC games a weekend but if they can pump that up to 3 i think they could really start reaching like millions of people consistently throughout the regular season and then build it up to a triumphant championship game to where maybe 5 million to 6 million people tune in for it. Which would be sick. Um, but no, when we... Um, I, was in, I was on the Discord talking to some of the boys in the USFL community. And we were talking about how... These ratings could compare to the XFL's week 4. And the USFL's blowing the XFL out of the water at this rate. And... Um, which is con- concerning for XFL fans, I understand that. But at this time, you know, I I think both leagues have the proper tools to survive, but, I mean, despite what people can say about the live audience, they're reaching 2 million people on a Michigan versus a Memphis game on NBC at, like, 7.30 on a Saturday night. In fucking May. Like, that's... That's something to notate, in my personal opinion. But I just think that if we're talking about the USFL, then we gotta shout out the numbers on what it's been doing, how well it's been like growing. Compare it to what you know it was last year and other alternative leagues' success. I mean, there's patterns in in viewership ratings, obviously, but. I was not expecting over 2 million people for the Michigan versus the Memphis game. Is Detroit and Michigan, like, tuning into that shit? Are they invested in the Panthers? High possibility. But it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, I didn't expect it. I don't think anyone else did. And this is a big sign. And they got to keep growing off of this with more marketing, putting this money towards just marketing towards the marketing aspect of it. I mean, they're probably bankrolling a bunch of money to invest in obviously some of the the rest of the teams' home stadiums, getting them set up for season 3 and season 4. But I would like to hope that, you know, maybe we'll even see some logistical upgrades, maybe even a longer regular season, maybe um again more teams in the near future, maybe next year or the year after that would be so cool to see some of the old franchises revived and see, you know, maybe a new team brought out of, you know, some creativity. I just think it'd be really awesome to see this league actually go through that expansion process, just to see how it does, you know. And if it fails, I hope it doesn't, but, you know, that's just a part of the business world. But I think right now, I'm very confident in the business model and structure of this uh, league, and I think it's only going to go up from here. And, you know, the first player that we see signed to a contract is going to be a big deal it's going to be a big deal um and i'm still waiting out for some news like that which i'll expect maybe after this year they'll allocate some cash towards a long-term contract for a player or two just to keep some names in the league that people can follow and love um but that's just one of those things where that'll come with time for sure but uh, i hope really hope you guys enjoyed this episode of usfl and chill I really try and just bring the news, the the trends, the roster changes and um stuff like that. And we should probably have another USFL and Chill episode up later this week where Logan and I are probably hopped on, hopping on an episode and talking about predictions, maybe updated power rankings and some more players to look out for for sure. And there might be more signings, and there might be some updates for some teams uh, later on this week, so we'll keep an eye out for that, I'll definitely keep an eye out for that. And if you guys want more USFL information, I'm incredibly active on my Twitter, at Tea Time Reports, I also have a personal account if you guys want to follow it, it's just my name, uh, Trevor Basso, um, and at that point, if you guys are interested in the USFL like that, maybe join the Discord that I'm in, I'm, I'm sure that if you uh, insta message me, I can ask some of the guys in there if maybe an invite would be okay. But, you know, the stronger the community grows for this league, the better it is, in my opinion. I love the league to death, but I love the community even more. It's full of really awesome people that just love football and love sports and just want to see this thing grow and succeed in every positive way. So, I really appreciate you guys for tuning into this episode and definitely give me a follow, give the channel a follow on our social media platforms as well at Tea Time Reports. It's much love. Take care, y'all.